Welcome to Relatable with Ash, where we talk about all things mindset, wellness, relationships, and empowerment. Chaz was in the middle of telling me a story. Ah, well, last night at the sports club, which I thought was super impressive and also slightly funny in, I guess, I'm like... Not not the most like uh, morally right sense, but I, it, we all have those thoughts for a second. Um, but this guy at the sports club last night, he didn't have a leg, um, so he was amputee for one of his legs. But what was so impressive about it was he literally one hopped the whole evening, like he just. I oh, didn't have any crutches or anything. No crutches. No support leg. That, uh, what do you even call that? I'm mind blanking on what that's prosthetic. called. Uh, yeah, prosthetic limb. No prosthetic limb. He literally just hopped around on this on his other leg, and he was moving fast. Like, you know, well, I suppose you have to move fast if you're hopping. You know, like he, it's like he, he's. You don't really have like very good pace control because it's like, like the tortoise in the hair. Like you either exert a lot of energy and then move a far distance or you just sh- little amounts of energy a lot. Yeah. Hopping. And like effectively, it's probably less energy to do the bigger distance. Like because you just use gravity, you lean forward and you just hop. Mm. Whereas like if you're doing little hops, you got to like fight gravity more rather than yeah. assist you by just throwing yourself into like a 15 degree angle and going for it. True. You're such an exercise scientist. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was super impressive. Like more impressive when you consider he's also like buying drinks, drinking alcohol the whole time. And this guy isn't just like spilling his drink everywhere. And He's made the best of like a not so great situation. You know, like he could make the money to buy a prosthetic limb. But instead he's like, no, I'm going to use this to my advantage and get like super jacked legs and calves, you know. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, he he seemed like a like a, a slightly rough around the edges kind of guy. Like not 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 too far. Just like your average tradie. I don't know. I I, I was kind of pondering when I saw the guy, but I was like, how recent has this maybe happened? Like, is he new to this? Is he like trying to suss out what's the best mode of transport he's going to go with? What's his thing going to be? With like, am I going to be the prosthetic guy? I mean, he's gone like doubled down on like I'm going to be the hop guy, and I've never seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it before either. I actually went to school with a boy who had um, a prosthetic limb. He actually he got chicken pox when he was little. What? Chicken pox can make you have an amputation. Well, <laughs> I'm not a scientist. But <laughs> he scratched his leg off. At least that's, that's what I heard. I think he might... Does the scab just get eventually so big that your whole leg just falls off? No, I think the logic behind it might be that <laughs> like, if you scratch it so much and then you get an infection... Yeah. Then and um, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, but he's a Paralympian. Oh, cool! Swimming, yeah, which is pretty cool. Do you think it's easier to become a Paralympian because there is a less competition pool to compete with? No. Or is it far harder to become a Paralympian? because of the actual disability you've got far harder because not to say it's not impressive either way because obviously it is and we love 
Paralympians in the first place because every human being loves a like comeback story. Yeah. What actually makes it so difficult is that you're competing with people. Some people have all of their limbs in the Paralympics, but they have a different like uh, disability or struggle. So like it's so much harder for you to be a successful Paralympian actually get to the Paralympics because there's some people that are missing an arm and some people that are missing a leg. It's like it's far more beneficial to have one limb over the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like, like the I, core strength. The uh, core strength you have to have. I'm pretending like I don't know much about this topic, but I actually do. Yeah. Um, Who's playing devil's advocate? Yeah. No, like they actually set it up so there's different classes depending on your your disability. So they wouldn't place you like some guy just missing a arm wouldn't get to run against like the guys who are just missing one leg in the 100 meter you know what i mean like they actually would there would be like a category for that particular disability and they would like in like it and they would have like certain cutoffs in which like some disabilities met that range and some some don't and that's the whole field of science sports science where biomechanic engineers um get to like create the devices for these people to perform and then also they have to like be able to categorize in where they fit in right yes it's crazy i swear when i watched the paralympics last though there was like someone with all limbs and there was people with like missing half a limb as well (laughs) i feel like i saw that (laughs) yeah that's a bit of a weird one you're like oh i've just got like some kind of maybe like brain injury or maybe you were born with some kind of um genetic genetic predisposed disability and you get to compete with against people you've got all your limbs but you've got this brain thing going on mm. and you get to compete against people who are missing a limb is that fair or not and like oh god it opens up a can of worms um I, I like I can weirdly picture like maybe a recent swimming race where I may have seen something similar to what you're saying. But again, like they definitely have thought this stuff through and mm. for most of the time they've made as best as they can some kind of equitable, equitable steps to account for that. Mm. Um, but yeah, super, super inspiring. Equity has been a huge topic for us lately because we've gotten back into Mario Kart. (laughs) (laughs) And we would like to blame Mario Kart for the state of the world that it is now. Blame's a pretty heavy word. (laughs) (laughs) I I love Mario Kart because of the equity. Like, you wouldn't play Mario Kart unless you could be in last place for, like, the two laps. Then you get that bullet thing from the question mark box and you just zoom and all of a sudden you come to fourth and from there you can come first. Like, that's that's what makes the game fun. It does make the game fun um, as, like, a competitor i'm i'm like i it frustrates me sometimes but also like it is super super awesome when you're at the back of the line you're just losing and like you can intentionally fall behind the pack just to get better items but it is it is crazy how the person in first place gets the worst items possible like you you get a single banana or like a a coin in the new uh, ones you just get a coin a coin which does nothing like what does a coin even do you just collect coins so that by the end of the race it builds up a tally and eventually you can get like new bikes Uh, but it's not just for you it's for like everybody yeah again equity everyone gets a new bike yeah russia (laughs) (laughs) what was i gonna say about that 
No, but it, yeah, and oh, then see- I was gonna say, as a competitor, I would think that you would enjoy that more because there's more of a challenge. Are you, yeah, if you look at it like that, I like to think of things as like I think humans in instinctively have this barometer, and you see it in kids, where fairness is like a big thing instinctively for us. And like, for instance, oh, even a better example, you see it in monkeys. Like there was this guy, it's a horrific story, but like he, the, he owned this monkey, he gave it to a zoo and one day he came in um, and it was his monkey's birthday and he gave the monkey a cake. And the next time he came in and he went to like see his monkey, all the other monkeys ripped him to pieces because he didn't give them a cake also oh, right and so it was remembered they remembered this guy and they killed him oh my god yeah and so it's like like making things fair across the board is like a really strong instinctual thing and if you if you show like a and even i see this in teaching all the time is if you say one thing to one kid and do the other for the rest you are setting yourself up for, to lose the respect of everyone there. So you always have to try and manage expectations and rules and behaviors in a really, really fair way. But that doesn't always mean equitable mm-hmm. because if you like kids notice that so fast, like uh, the biggest issue I have today with some kids is the use of laptops. If I say we're using pen and paper today, Everyone has to use pen and paper. Mm. But there's some kids in the class that have really low writing skills mm. and they have an adjustment that says to, says they can use a laptop. Mm-hmm. But nothing pisses off all of the other kids more than that kid getting to use a laptop. Because we all know like, yes, he might need an adjustment. But as soon as I'm not looking, he's playing games. All the other kids see him playing games and they think, well, why does he get the opportunity to do that and I don't? Mm. And all of a sudden you lose the respect of the class over one kid. Even though he actually needs that, yeah. but they 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 also know in themselves it's not like it's usually well in from their eyes it's his own doing that he's poor at writing, mm. right? The other kids are like, I worked hard to get good at writing, so why should he get this extra privilege just because he's bad at something? Mm. And so he does not have he doesn't have a disability or anything. It's not that he's a disability in some sense. So maybe they do. Sometimes they might have a disability or she or he. Um, but sometimes it's it's just the fact that they're, they're, they're just, just so far behind or they, ne- they never put the work in. Or sometimes they might actually have a disability. Um, but most of the time it's not. And uh, the thing is also with like diagnosed disabilities most of the time in, in those settings, the diagnosis is not something you could measure quantitatively it's a qualitative diagnosis so what that means is is when you get your diagnosis they get you down and they set they set they ask you a whole heap of bunch of questions that are filled out on a questionnaire and they say okay you have the predisposed tendencies for this disability which is effectively saying you have poor behavior habits which lead you to do poor behaviors right because you meet you meet the the criteria of the tendencies, Mm. it's not something like they can take your blood and be like, no, this is genetically you, right? right? In most cases, like for instance, 
There is a test for that, but it's thousands and thousands of dollars and nobody's doing it. Yeah, but most of the time it's not like that. And also it's the you end up leaning into the fact that um, once you give someone a diagnosis, especially children, if you give them a diagnosis, they now think that that's something that they're doomed with, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that, that is now inbuilt into their personality. Yeah, and, it, and, and the idea that depending on how their parents react to a diagnosis that they're limited now and they can't function like everybody else. It's self-fulfilling, yeah. right? And so it's, it, it's one of those like very, very weird gray areas where you, you go, do I actually let my kid know that he has these tendencies and will he be better off being aware of them um, so that way he can navigate the world in, um, with, with that in mind mm-hmm. and, and try and like overcome it? Or is he better off just thinking he's like everyone else and just overcoming adversity just like everyone else would, right? Mm. Without like adults putting these labels on them. Well, I think a great example is um, the experience you had in early primary school. Yeah, I see it's like throughout, and I wasn't aware of it because my parents, like, I didn't really, I, I didn't become aware of it until high school when people kind of started saying it around me or friends started saying it around me. And that's late high school into early adulthood. But like, I, I'm very confident that I'm probably dyslexic. Mm. Um, but so what was, the, can you explain the experience that at least your, your parents had with your teacher or teachers? I, I, I had like, I had some very good teachers as well. Um, like, so, like, from my, my, my point of view, even as, like, coming up, like, I really liked my teachers. So, it's not they had nothing against me, but all of my teachers were like, your son has ADHD, number one. Um, and, and so, and sorry, number one doesn't mean it's a diagnosis thing. It's just I had ADHD. Right? <laughs> that was, like, the most <laughs> prominent, prominent thing that they were saying yeah. about you. I was like, does that sound like there's a number one ADHD? <laughs> <laughs> I'm superior in my ADHDness. <laughs> But yeah, like, and yeah, I was always, always being uh, touted as, as the hyperactive kid, um, and which I was, I was hyperactive. But um, no, like, my parents never, never let on that that was a particular issue that people were trying to label me with, and like, some some people were pushing for me to be medicated. Yeah, and, or at least I think I remember hearing your mum say that they wanted you to get tested. Yes. Um, and I'm so thankful they didn't do anything and they just let me be a kid and let me be, first of all, a boy um, who, like, like, if, like, all young boys are super excited and energetic. But well, many, yeah, many. The majority, and if they're not, a lot of the time I question whether someone's, some adults just absolutely crushed their poor little dreams and, like, conditioned them into being, like, this submissive person. Mm. Right, and a lot of the time it's helicopter parents that do that. Mm. Um, but like, if you leave a boy up to their own devices and and hang out with other boys, they're gonna play fight, they're gonna roll around, they're gonna make annoying noises, they're gonna have heaps of energy, they're gonna be very curious, um, and like they like to play, like kids like to play, right? And so 
we, we act like it's a bad thing. And, it, and it's not, obviously not conducive to sitting down and studying 24-7, but that was the whole reason why my parents sent me to Harmony Montessori in the first place um, because Montessori had a style of teaching that taught kids autonomy over their learning, gave them autonomy of their learning. Like our learning phase throughout the morning would be three hours of here's the task you have to do today. It will be from a whole host of different genres of um topics so you could be studying english math science whatever it might be um and you would go out and you had to just go tick tick those tasks off right in your own time in your own time and whatever you wanted to do was up to you it wasn't like the teacher sat you down and being like okay guys we're going through this right now Mm -hmm. there would be group sessions that the teacher would then pull you out of at some point maybe for 20 minutes in like small groups where you'd be like okay this is how you do this particular math problem for this um session or the next three days that we'll be working on and then from there on they would just set you equations and stuff like that from or a textbook page um each different day you would have different tasks that you could just choose to do and so that was good for me because i was like oh i've got some like autonomy over how i get to spend my morning like if i don't want to do math right now i won't do math right now but the important thing was is i got the task done eventually by the time it came to lunch how do you feel like that helped you with like any i guess hyperactivity or the like yeah any struggles with reading perhaps um well like for me i was i got a lot of learning support help um well by a lot i mean like i think maybe i spent like maybe two days a week um an hour with the learning support uh, staff member who predominantly helped me with just reading and writing work um, and yeah those those two were definitely my 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 weak points uh, like I was I was very good at math um, and most boys seem to also be like oddly like pretty good at the the math side like very logical minded I guess what what I was alluding and you've just kind of pointed that out what I'm alluding to is the fact that because you have autonomy over the tasks that you're doing or what tasks you're doing you have the ability to thrive in particular subjects and get learning support in other subjects because the teacher can actually see where you're at as opposed to sitting you down and going this is the base standard of math or English that you need to be at and if you're not here you're you're failing it, it like you know putting a a it's really hard putting a, I think of NAPLAN, right? Like a standard for where the child is supposed to be at just mm. based on their age. Yeah. I don't think that that is a fair. Well, that was actually one of the interesting things. I can't remember what it was called, um, but there was this comprehensive slash reading task um, series that we had that was always one of the things we did for English. And it was categorized by different levels, right? And so you would go in and you would select a, a certain leveled sheet that you were capable of. And then once you like completed that sheet, you would move on to the next run. Mm-hmm. And so even in like in that morning, they'd be like, oh, you have to do one of those sheets and attempt at the activity that relates to your current stage of learning. And you were aware of what your stage was at and within the cohort itself, though, students started to compete with each other just naturally. Mm. And so it actually like 
like I wanted, I like I'm a very competitive person. So I wanted to be the best I could possibly be at this like comprehension slash reading task that you then had to um, define and explain what the the questions were from the reading task. Yeah. Um, See, and that that's that's like being able to say that thinking about kids now kids can be smart in reading and not actually be able to necessarily read the words or spell them or say them correctly but in context you can comprehend the whole thing e oh yeah 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 um that wasn't where i was going with that but a hundred percent i was just gonna say that like there was also uh, autonomy in the fact that i could choose the the level relative to where I was at mm-hmm. because we weren't all being forced into one mainstream learning task for, for like, let's say English. Mm-hmm. Um, it meant that if I was behind in a certain area, I could select a activity that would meet my current learning needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore I was catered for. Um, but at the same time, the fact that other people, I was aware that other people were doing higher ones than me really pushed me to be like, no, I want to I be able to beat yeah. them at what they're doing at, right? Mm-hmm. And so we started to compete with each other without like the teacher even implementing that. Mm-hmm. But it, it became like an important thing to me and others, mm-hmm. which was so cool as well. And so it forced me to be better. But you're 100% right um, in the fact that the comprehension like I can, I can grasp the meaning of something pretty well. Um, even then, when I was reading it, um, without necessarily like reading perfectly. Um, but I think that's probably unique to someone that's like kind. Of, that's why I think I'm like dyslexic because I get words back to front while reading all the time, or like, uh, well, as I'm reading, I'll restructure the sentence yeah. accidentally, and it's it still makes sense. Like the sentence still makes sense. Like if you go back and intentionally read it word for word, the sentence was like had the same meaning, but I've just like somehow reversed like a few words or something or like, or miss like moved actual words around in the sentence to um, achieve the same outcome. Especially if I'm reading fast, um, I'll do that. But it also gives me like this ability to read fast because I can, I can go through like a paragraph quite quickly if I have to yeah. and grasp the meaning of it without having to read it word for word, which helped me with like skim reading, especially like in university when you have to like really go through big papers that um, take a lot of time. But if you can just power over them and take out the meaning that you need and then find the part that you're looking for, um, that helped a lot as well. Well, yeah, it sounds like you found ways to function and succeed at reading without being able to do it as well or in the same way as others like you just explained it in the exact way that you you figured it out and I I saw this we used to read books together at night time and first of all your progression in reading just for how long I've known you like your writing skills and your ability to read has improved significantly because you look at it quite frequently but I I do remember you skimming over words um because i would read it as you were reading aloud I, that's just how i actually focus which could be a thing in itself for me mm-hmm. um but yeah i remember you skimming over words or yeah restructuring the sentence but the way that i read it and the way that you said it made sense in the same way so it didn't really matter yeah 
which was really cool to like actually be able to see that. And so like to bring it full circle, as a child, would it have been any use for me to actually be told that I was dyslexic, Mm. right? And I would argue that it probably wouldn't have. And if anything, it would have made me perceive my reality as me being different Mm. because I had no idea that I was doing something different to everyone else because I was getting to the same end result and that's what's important right? Mm -hmm. They get to the same end result. It doesn't matter how they do it as Mm -hmm. long as they get to the same end result. Mm -hmm. And so to me, there wasn't a problem. Mm -hmm. I could do the work and I was being forced to just through the structure of things compete and then get to an outcome. Mm -hmm. If you had told me I was dyslexic and I would have trouble reading and I would struggle with comprehension perhaps Mm. um, or might struggle with comprehension, maybe that would have held me back. Yeah. It's, it's, I think about it in, in framing, like or reframing, right? It's all in how, first of all, the parents handle it, but how the, if you do get a diagnosis, how the person who diagnoses you frames it. So if they're like, if they're saying it in a way that it is negative, like, yes, your son has dyslexia and he is going to struggle. You're framing it as if this person is going to struggle no matter what because of this thing that they have mm-hmm. or this this way of being that they are. And then if the parent handles it in a way that's like, oh, no, now now we have to make all these adjustments and now it means that life's going to be harder, the, the kid feels that whether you say that or not. So I think that's a really good point. And I like what you said about how, uh, you know, seeing the different kinds of reading like the the slips that you had to do and seeing other people do other ones and how it made you competitive and want to read better I felt the same way with math when I moved school I was amazing at reading in English and comprehension but I when I moved from Perth to here my school in Perth was very small and we didn't do very (laughs) There were so many things that were different. Even the way in which we'd write letters was different. We did it the way Sydney does it. And so when I moved here and I would spell a word using the B that looked like kind of like a bathtub with a long stick, I would get um, I would get crosses. She would say that I spelt my, my words wrong and I'll get so mad because I'm like, I spelt my word right. I just used, I used the letter B that I was taught to. Anyway, I get really mad about that still, clearly. Um, but... Over here in grade six, people had already learned long division Mm. and I hadn't, I had only just grasped, if at all, regular division in math. And so I really fell behind in math. I still did okay, but it it pushed me. I was like, no, I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to get to the level. And so much so I ended up doing math B in grade nine, 10, and I tried in 11, um, but I fell behind because I wasn't well. But I, it was such a – I was in the zone with math when it came, especially to like algebra and quadratic formula because I was like, I'm going to get good at this. I'm going to get good at this. So it can – even regular di- – uh, diversity is not the word. Regular adversity can be used as a tool for competition and uh, motivation if you choose it, if you don't let it get you down for too long. Yeah, I 100% agree. Mm. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. It's 
I remember doing long division. They started teaching that in grade three. Fuck. But the the reason why you could learn it so early at Montessori was because they had these special tools that helped you like visualize math in a spatial way. And so we had like abacuses and we had this like special like massive square thing that sat on the floor and you could like literally see how division and multiplication worked visually really, really well. I could have used that. Oh, yeah. And that was one of like the best parts about the pedagogy of um, Montessori schooling is because everything was taught both spatially and also theoretically right Mm -hmm. they they showed you both components of it and they math was obviously the best example of that it's funny thinking about long division though now because if you gave me something to divide i would have to go and look up a textbook on how to actually do long division again like Mm -hmm. that you don't use that math in in um in day-to-day life and especially now with phones and calculators and things like Mm -hmm. that you just don't need to i find i need a pen and paper I could I could do I could divide big numbers by big numbers, but I need a pen and paper and I'm gonna do it my own way. Like it's probably not gonna be long division. Uh, I'm gonna break it up into little pieces. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely like I could picture writing the number and then doing the like weird long R symbol and then putting the number under the R symbol and then you had to What is the R symbol? So didn't you like isn't long division right? So let's say you got six divided by two thousand four hundred and seventy, right? And so you'd put six at the start and then you'd do like a weird little long R and then oh. underneath that you'd write like 2,400 and then you would work out the division on top of the, the, the R symbol. Do you remember, do you remember doing that? I don't that? remember that. that oh, that's what I remember from it. Um, and maybe that was like, a, no, I swear other schools must have been teaching how to do that like that as well, surely. Well, do you know what? I, and this is, a, this, points, this is a good point to make is... If you miss a crucial part of your learning, you won't you you won't remember how to do it as well. You know what I mean? Like if you miss like for me, it felt like I missed I missed like half a year's worth of math lessons by moving to this different school. Mm. And if you you miss out on even like three lessons where they really dive into this is how it works and this is why we do it. Even when you look at it, if you don't, if you can't wrap your head around it, you're not going to be able to to do it. And clearly, I don't remember at all. I think, but also I think people get caught up in the fact that 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 will matter, but it really doesn't. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it it doesn't matter. Like if you can't do long division because you missed out on a couple lessons. How how many times have you use long division in your adult life? Like, and I've been thinking about education a lot lately, and trying to boil it down to what is the the biggest takeaways that you need from the education system to give you. And I would say number one, the first and most important thing, is your ability to read and write. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to allow you to engage in the world in a political sense, mm-hmm. right? You're going to be able to make political decisions for yourself that will better you um, and your position in society. Mm-hmm. And so you won't be able to access work if you can't read or write either. Like you need to be able to have resumes. You need to be able to 
be able to converse with another human being, right? And like your 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 ability to to utilize literature to formulate ideas is so so important. Mm. And if you can read and write it well, your ability to formulate ideas will probably be pretty good. Even even just vocalizing it with another human being. Mm. And so writing often will also give you an enhanced ability to speak in some sense, provided you're speaking a lot. But it it formulates your thoughts in a really strong, cemented way. Yeah, and and even being able to relate to others, right? Because the more you write, the more you can learn how to phrase sentences and rephrase sentences or use new words and different words, especially if you're reading and you're like, what the fuck does that word mean? That allows you to relate to people in general. I also think of it in some sense in like let's say there's some kind of new big policy coming out, right? Mm. And it's going to impact the way you live within society. And if you can't engage with that policy by understanding and comprehending it, then you are so that you 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 are going to be at the mercy yeah at the, at the, at the mercy of the powers that be right mm. there's no way you can con- control your place in society if you don't understand what's going on mm. and so to me that's why it's so important to be able to do those things read write comprehend mm. um and then the other thing is is like you you also have to have some kind of basic math yeah and so i think the biggest biggest takeaway is understanding percentages fractions um divide times multiply mm. uh and plus and minus obviously as well mm-hmm. and then excel spreadsheets mm. though like those those things in mathematics are going to be used weekly in an adult life mm-hmm. all the time in no matter what work you do and if you can if you can use those things um you'll be able to engage in society in in a some kind of useful manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all the rest of learning from from education is gravy on top, mm-hmm. right? I, from an adult's point of view as well, I think it's important for us to continue to keep up practices like that because, yes, we can rely on our phones for multiplication or looking up how to read a word, but at the end of the day, if you want to maintain good brain health and retain memory and, you know, be functional for longer, you have to keep up those practices. So I'll like, uh, especially with my candles, there has to be, depending on how much wax you're putting in and the fragrance oil, the wax weight is different to the water weight that the jar holds. And so you have to really do quite a lot of math Mm. and, and, you know, converting it from um, dry weight to liquid weight and, and things like that. So I have a lot of fun doing that, but it is, it's quite a challenge. That's actually a really good point there is I probably would add to that math list is conversion of units and understanding units. Mm. Very, very big, like kilograms, grams, uh, mm. meters, kilometers, mm. like centimeters, millimeters, like being able to convert those things across, like understanding how those works, like yeah, even volume. Yeah. Um, 
liters, milliliters, yeah. things like that. Those, those things are used every day as well. You can use that. I think of your dad doing renovations, right? I know a lot of people pay for renovations, but man, if you want to have fun, do some of your home renovations. But you need to be able to do math to be able to do that. Yeah. And I think that's also part of the fun of it too. Like what, when you're not in the frustration stage of, of renovating, of being able to do, do things on your own is so like empowering and fulfilling and fun. You're like, yeah, I did that. I didn't rely on somebody else to do that. I'm making a face like I was going to say something else because I was. Oh, and the way I used to practice math at, mainly because I was bored and I knew I thought I could do it and I wanted to challenge myself at Cotton On was when people would give me cash, I would, without looking at the screen, I would do the math on how much cash I have to give them back. And it was a bit of a struggle at first and I would look at the screen every now and then, but then eventually I got so good, I, would, I wouldn't even look. I'd just be looking at the coins and give them the coins back and people would be like, oh, how did you, how did you do that? It's like if you keep practicing it, it is, it becomes something that's easy and you can just automatically do it in your head. And especially when it's small numbers like that, it's just like, you can just know it. Mm. You just know that if someone gives you like $20 and 15 cents, wait, that's a bad example. <laughs> You're like, that's too hard to work <laughs> if, with. If someone gave you $20 and their thing was $19 and 15 cents, you just automatically know you give them 75 cents change. Yeah. Like you just know that it's, it's yeah. simple and it, it becomes habit. I thought you were going to do the whole they give you $20.15 to make up the round off of the whole number so that way oh. you give them like a whole number of change back. I used to love people doing that. It'd be, yeah, but, well, like the first time you ever come across that but you're like, what are you doing, person? Why like, are you giving me yeah, $50? Stop giving me more money than you have to. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, man. Yeah. <laughs> people used to get like when, I, when that first happened to me, the first two times people would be like quite frustrated because I'm slow and I'm like, dork -dork, I don't get what's happening. And they're like, they're like, come on, this works. Just trust me. I'm like, mm, <laughs> yeah, trying to scare me. You're so sus on it. That's so true. It seems so suspicious. Yeah, yeah I remember that. I never, like when I started working um, at the place I was at, they didn't even have the computer to work out the math for you. Mm. So you literally had to do it by head. Or you would put the price in, it would open the till and you had to make sure you put in the right amount and gave out the right amount. Otherwise, the till would be just cooked. But you had to do the whole thing in your head. Um, but that was a fun challenge to me. I used to love it. I, that, that's what I wanted to do the most at work. I was like, I want to be on the till. Mm. Um, I think it was also like a, probably a psychological thing because it was the one thing they wanted to let you do the least. But handling the cash is like obviously the most important part of the business. Mm. So like I really wanted to do it. I was like, yeah, the more I could get on the till, the better. It goes. It speaks again to like my competitive mind. Like I just wanted to be in the highest position possible at all times. But you also, you like talking to people and you get to talk to people in that role. Whereas if you're stocking shelves or if you're in the fridge, you're alone, you know. I used to get so much satisfaction out of like stocking the milk fridge. But mm. and also because like the boss like took the time to like teach me how to specifically do it and he was like he kind of like it was such a like an interesting psychological move but but he was like this is gonna be the important thing that you do you need to get this right otherwise you're gonna sell people off milk mm. i'm gonna show you how to do it and then this is gonna be your thing and it, it was it was a powerful move on his part because he was like he was giving me a place of of work where i was going to have autonomy over, right? Like this was my thing. And like 
I guess that speaks to also my upbringing going through Montessori and liking autonomy because it was built into me early. But like doing that and having like that sense of like control, but also that um, he he gave me like a, a pride mm. and also gave me trust in in what I like. He was trusting me in what I was going to do. Um, it, it, I really liked doing that job, and there was something cool about being in the cold room as well. Um, but now when I think about it, it was also because I was young and I was probably like, I, I was like a relatively strong young man. And so it was it was more to do with the fact that the milk cartons are heavy yeah. than anything else, I think. Well, yeah, it's funny you say that because when I worked at an IGA, I got stuck on the tills. All I wanted to do was be the fridge person. But <laughs> they didn't think I was strong enough to be able to be the fridge person. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> but it's interesting because it, that job didn't become something that was like, Ugh, I have to do the milk fridge because of the way that he framed it. Yeah. He framed it like this is really important for you to be able to do. Like, not only are you the one that's physically able to do this, but this is really important so that you don't make people sick. Yeah, I think just saying it's that that it was important, mm. like giving it importance, um, is probably like the best way of going about it. And then I kind of sold myself on the task mm. from there on out, and like, that's a powerful tool as well. Like let let someone sell themselves on whatever you you want them to do um for you anyway mm-hmm. um but yeah uh, to, just to speak to like because i think each milk carton especially the three liters i think all of them probably volume wise take up the same amount of space anyway so they should be all the same weight but i think they're 15 kilos per carton so like I'm just picturing you moving them around in your like teen version of yourself. That's actually a lot of weight for a small person to be constantly moving around. Yeah, I would definitely hurt myself. I, I yeah. would. I, I'm. I'm. I wouldn't. Not now. Not yeah. that I know how to physically move my body in a way that allows me to lift things like that. But you got that natural like Asian squat the form. Squat, I do. I really do. Yeah. Olympic lifter. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, a key takeaway from this episode is that if you allow as a as someone who well young listeners who will eventually be a parent or even just like co-workers and friends if you frame things in a way that is limiting the other person in believing in themselves and believing in their capabilities it can have an, a negative effect on them and they will feel limited but if you are the type of person that allows instills belief in people or speaks in a way that allows people to believe in themselves and believe that it is possible for them to achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve, then they will believe that they can do it. Yeah, frame things to their higher self, mm-hmm. right? Like frame things in, in in a way that makes them feel like if they live up to it, they're living a more morally right and just and better better living, right? Like. Mm-hmm. It, there's there's value in in what what they can actually do. Um, I I think of that King Richard movie with Will Smith about the the Williams sisters, and the way that it, yes, the Richard Williams did work Venus and Serena really hard, and they 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 sorry I was distracting him. They they consistently showed up very often to train, but the way that they would react to their failures was a reflection of the way that their dad would react to their failures. And they held themselves really well. And they believed in themselves because he believed in them, or at least he led on that he believed in them, even if he had doubts. And 
you looked at the other kids, they would throw tantrums or their parents would walk away because they didn't instill the same belief in them. So I think that's very relative. I was listening to this, uh, I don't know if it was a podcast, maybe it was like a TED Talk recently, and this guy was talking about um, his child was like constantly wetting the bed mm. and they couldn't get the kid to stop wetting the bed. And the and the kid actually shared the bed with his grandmother. No, it was the book I was reading. Uh, the book I'm reading, uh, what is, what's his name? Daniel, Dale, Dale, Dale Carnegie. Yeah, Dale Carnegie. Yeah. And uh, it's how to enjoy your job and your life or something like that. Mm. Um, and it's a really interesting book. And so this this kid, he's constantly wetting the bed and they can't work out why he's wetting the bed. He actually shares a bed with his grandma. The grandma gets mad at him every time he wets the bed. Mm. Um, and the way they get him to stop wetting the bed was they take him to the store and they say to, well, let's just call him Timmy. They're like, Timmy, you're a big boy now. You're going to get to choose your own bed. Because you're a big boy, you're going to have your own bed and you can choose any bed in the store and you're going to go ask the, the sales person about what you want and what you need and they're going to help you find the bed that you want. Mm-hmm. And so they gave him like this power and trust over like purchasing the bed that he wanted mm-hmm. but also they were like allowing him an opportunity to no longer sleep in the same bed that grandma did. Mm-hmm. Soon as they did it, they bought the bed, he stopped waiting the bed because he had this sense of pride in this opportunity that he was given by his parents. Mm. And like giving someone the opportunity to live up to a higher expectations for themselves mm. is the most powerful thing you can ever do for someone, right? But you have to give them the opportunity to be the better self yeah. that they can be. Yeah, full trust. Mm. Full trust. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so he like instantly stopped wetting the bed and they thought it was like a medical issue. It mm. wasn't even a medical issue. Like, and I don't know whether the, like it sounds like the kid was intentionally doing it, but I don't think he was even intentionally doing it. Like I think it was like probably a more of a subconscious thing. Um, it also like the, uh, I, there was another. I, this is I confused two ideas and conflated them together. But there was a TED talk talk recently with a similar issue. This kid kept writing on walls, mm. and the way he got the kid to stop writing on walls was instead of like belittling the kid and yelling at him for like writing on the walls, he just told the kid he's like. Let's call him Tim again. He's like, Tim, big boys don't write on walls. And because he wanted to be a big boy Mm. and just be recognized for it, he was like, all of a sudden there was like, there was a sense of pride that he he would lose in himself if he wrote on the wall. And so he just stopped drawing on the walls because he was like, no, I want to be a big boy. And there's nothing a a young boy wants to be than a a big boy. Exactly, like his dad. Um, so that's it's just so interesting mm. in that sense. Yeah, where and that doesn't change whether you're a child or you're an adult. No, that continues to grow, and we can go. I can just go down a rabbit hole of even the way that we speak to ourselves internally and out loud mm. has a huge impact on that as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But I I would like to make my birthday cake now because it's my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to make um, my red velvet cake. Yeah. Um, so we'll probably end the podcast there. Okay. That was really fun. That was really fun. Yeah. Happy birthday. That. Thank you. I love you. I love you too. Once again, thank you so, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let me know. I would love to hear what you liked, what you'd want us to explore. 
And also, if you are willing to, giving the podcast episode a rating and or a review, depending on uh, what platform you're listening on. We will see you next time. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's my new outro. (laughs)